I undertook a lot of things because I was the only black person there, the only woman of color there. And I, I knew that this was bigger than just like me. Right. So I had to sit and grin and bear it, but I couldn't do it because of the person that I am. Like I would get hired because I'm palatable. I'm lighter skin. I'm just going to be frank. I look a certain way. I'm non-threatening and I get my foot in the door, but they didn't know that Malcolm X was coming through the door. <laughs> right. So like I'm sitting there and I'm in these meetings and I'm just kind of like, no, we can't, we can't do it that way. We can't, you know, we have to try this way. Why aren't there black people in advertising? Why don't we have these black itineraries? You know, like we don't need to call it a, the black itinerary, but we need to have some black experiences on it. Welcome to Wise and Wine, a play on the phrase, rise and shine. Now look here, folks. I've had five jobs in the last two years, and that shit just ain't normal. Or is it? No, no, it's not. So I'm turning to diverse people who inspire me both professionally and personally with careers that didn't exactly start at point A and end at point B. We'll explore how their families, their cultures, and their communities impacted their career decisions, as well as the exact moment they decided to pursue their passions, even if that passion wasn't a direct path to a pension or a 401k. Hopefully, I'll come away knowing how they became the badass, the confident, the strategic people that I admire. And if I don't come out of this project a little wiser, well, at least I'll enjoy the boozy wine ride. You guys, we are back with another episode of the Wise and Wine podcast with today's guest, Sadie Jordan from Soul Life Travel. And I was thinking about my travel history as I was talking to Sadie, and Sadie and her company are really focused on how to avoid issues of exploitation of local communities, how to address diversity and tourism and, and really making sure that people of color, when they travel, they're not burdened with finding people in places that look like them. And so I, I was thinking about that um, in my travel history. And, you know, I grew up primarily in white spaces with my family being the primary exposure to the black community. When I was a kid and my dad traveled, my dad lived in New York, um, but he pretty much traveled places that he could drive. You know, I think living in New York where people live just absolutely on top of each other, that he really was craving space. And so he would drive us to a public pool in Connecticut. Of course, there are public pools in New York City, but there's less people, obviously in Connecticut. Um, he would take us to dude ranches so that we could ride horses. And he took us to a place called the Pines, which I adored. It reminds me of Kellerman's from Dirty Dancing. It was just this huge, huge, huge resort that had indoor pools, outdoor pools, it had a skating rink and a movie theater, and just had all of this stuff. Yeah, he was just kind of craving stuff that gave us space. He really wasn't focused on, hey, let's talk, let's find places where people look like us. I think he just really just needed a break from New York City. Um, my mom's family is from St. Kitts and the family did go on a trip to St. Kitts to reconnect with their relatives. I don't really recall why I didn't go, um, but now I'm kind of kicking myself that I did not go with my family then, but 
I could see why that trip was something that my family, just my mom's side of the family anyway, got so much out of. I saw the pictures and saw where they met relatives and and I could see on their faces that they were just so happy to connect with people that look like them. And there really is something to that. There really is something to being in places and spaces where you don't have to necessarily be on guard, where you don't necessarily have to think twice about what you're saying or what you're wearing, what you're doing, where you can just be free and be you, but also to learn about our history because, you know, the black community with having been taken as slaves, you know, our culture was told to us. And once you step out of, you know, the United States and you can see, you know, there were terrible atrocities that happened and all over, but to see the resiliency of how they made the most of what they had and the spaces that they were and created their own culture and preserve their own culture. And that, that culture oftentimes gets copied and replicated by other cultures. So it's just really cool to see what black communities can make with what they have. So yeah, I was really excited to get to the Caribbean side here in Costa Rica. It's called Puerto Viejo. And it is my hubris and ignorance as a traveler that I would just assume that the Caribbean side would have all of these experiences that I would be able to tap into them pretty easily. So I didn't book a tour. I didn't book an experience. I just thought, oh, we're going to show up. There's Black people here. We can just book something while we're here. And when we got there, we did see an authentic um, restaurant called Salsa Brava and, you know, Everybody that worked there had dreadlocks and they were Jamaican and the food was Jamaican, the drinks were Jamaican and the music was Jamaican. And it was just really like, what? Even though I'm not Jamaican, it was just so nice to see people that look like me. So I really thought that was going to be our visit was a lot of that. And as we were walking around town the next day and realized, oh, you know, there's a lot of not black people that are here and there's in fact, there's a lot of white chicks with dreadlocks. What's happening here? And so my guest Sadie today does address issues like that, where people go visit places where people travel, but they do more than just observe. They want to, they change the place, they impact the place and they remove the uniqueness and the culture from the place because they want to make it someplace for other people to want to go. So um, I did get to see that firsthand. So I don't know. It's very interesting discussion to have. It's something that I definitely want to look into more after speaking with Sadie and hearing about her experience and how she is addressing that specifically through her business. Um, So yeah, you'll get the opportunity to hear from her. If you have not listened to a previous episode I did with Dr. Natasha Chippenberry, I encourage you to go back and do that. She has a book coming out this month called Finding La Negrita, and it's another exploration of Afro-Costa Rican culture here in Costa Rica. So if you haven't seen her book, check it out. Again, it's called Finding La Negrita, and it comes out this month. Um, so without further ado, I present to you today's guest, Sadie Jordan from Soul Life Travel. Sadie, welcome to Wise and Wine. What are you drinking? So right now I'm drinking Lindman's. 2008 Elegant Pinot Noir. Yes. 
at 10 in the morning. Yes. Um, thank you very much, Jen. Perfect. Hopefully I'm not going to be too tipsy <laughs> for the rest of my day. Yes, we just got back from a three-week trip across Costa Rica. And I was like, I kind of need to detox. I feel like I've been deep in rum, deep in cacique, deep in chili water. Let me let my liver <laughs> take a break. So I'm drinking water today. Cacique is the devil. It it's is. so good, but so bad. It is. And the crazy thing about chili water was I don't even like tomato juice. Like I normally don't like... Um, you know, Bloody Marys or something, but I can, I can, I can take some uh, chili water down. So that's bad. Yeah. <laughs> I usually can take it in the thick of the day. So like I've already had to be drinking and then get that shot of chili water. Um, yep. And okay. then I can do it. <laughs> It'll get you. It's like party. Yeah. So I feel you. <laughs> all right. Yay. So we'll get into all of that. But can you tell me about your career path, how it's been influenced by your family? My family is from the Northeast. So I know that there's some uniqueness about growing up in Connecticut as well as Cambridge, Massachusetts. And then you've got Costa Rican thrown in there. So tell me about how all of this influenced your career. Well, it didn't influence those. <laughs> uh, it's really crazy. So I've, I've lived all over the North or the, the East Coast. I've lived in the South. I've lived up North. Um, and living in the North, I felt like social work, social justice was really pushed on me um, by my family. So my family has a long background of working um in social in social work as well as like social justice work political work activism and um from my earliest memories I remember like going on now I'm aging myself a lot going on marches in Washington and we didn't have internet or anything like that and I'd be like five years old jumping out of the car putting up posters on the walls or on like mailboxes running from the police at five wow. um to to get the word out that we're having like an anti-apartheid march or something like that so I think the activism part of me was more ignited living there than like the career path um I feel like my travel the way that I run my company is kind of doing my own sort of like social justice work um within the travel industry mm -hmm. but I think that um, always being aware because I'm Costa Rican, I'm half Costa Rican, that my culture already wasn't highlighted. I lived in an area where it was filled with Puerto Ricans, Dominicans, um, Caribbean people like Jamaicans, Trinidadians. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's really what I grew up around Haitians. Um, but Costa Ricans, whether they be black or, um, lighter skin Costa Ricans like there weren't any around me so always I guess honing in on the fact that like I was always othered from the time I was young mm -hmm. um so that gave me an eye for looking at like how I can be included in things um from a very young age so I've always had anywhere I've gone even I've worked in call centers <laughs> <laughs> And always trying to like make it better and be like some crusader on like diversity, equity and inclusion and all of that. Um, even before there was that, that phrase, because 
just feeling unseen, right? And what comes with that uh, has always, like, I've always wanted to make that better for people who come after me. So you did earn your uh, degree in business management from Lesley University. So what was your original plan when you got your degree? So I, I know that it shifted at one point. So when you went to college, yeah. what was your plan with business management? Like I said, my family was really into social work. The women in my family were very, very strong women. So the women on my mom's side really took that first generation uh, coming to the States. I mean, they like immigrant, the American dream, if you would say they, they, they flipped it on its head and made it their own, but education was very important. Um, excellence was very important. And I kind of always felt like I was in their shadows and had these giant shoes to fill. And I was kind of fledgling. I didn't know what I wanted to do in life. And when I found that um, I love the tourism industry and I stumbled across it, I, I got all these jobs within the tourism industry without having a degree. Um, but at some point in my career, I remember I got hired for a company and me being honest and trying to be honest with them when on the offer letter, it was like a degree is required. Now, you know, they never asked to see your diploma. I'm an honest person and I wanted to be transparent and say, you know, before I sign this contract, this legal binding contract, like I have two classes that I'm, I'm shy of because really it was that I was the only one of my, my um, grandmother's grandchildren that hadn't graduated from college, even though I had, I had a career, um, I, you know, even though I was starting my own business and, you know, really need a degree, I'm not saying college is not important, but now my associates was way more important to me than my bachelor's because that's where I actually learned about the tourism industry. That's where I um, took classes at a community college and really um, learned about the things that you need to run a travel business or, and, and had um, internships and things that really nurtured me um a study abroad opportunities that really nurtured me in my career path and and the last two years or the last like year and a half of getting my um bachelor's was really for that um family the people that um I got that job from that were going to pay me the most that I ever had received told me that um they couldn't hire me because I was you know, I didn't have a degree. Now, after George Floyd, coincidentally, they're hiring people like that don't have degrees because they realize that like, you know, people like myself that didn't have a college degree had a lot of experience within the travel industry. And, you know, I was too, I was too classes shy of getting that degree. So it was, um, and I've had companies come to me or coworkers come to me in these very, in these places where I've worked, where they, we have totally different backgrounds and they would say to me, you know, if you just had your degree, a lot of companies want you, their employees to have their degree, like their four-year degree. It just looks good on their demographics. And I would get this from several coworkers and like management. And I would, you know, I would, I would be sitting right next to somebody who had a degree from Harvard and I'm here in the seat next to them giving great ideas, doing, you know, my best, giving my contributions without the degree. But I felt the pressure of needing to have that degree. And I felt like, okay, so what's the easiest degree for me to get where 
I can use these credits. And um, thank God for Leslie University. They used a ton of my life credits. They used um, a ton of my community college credits and they put me in an accelerated um, program so I was able to get my degree relatively quickly. And, and these kind of institutions like the community college, shout out to Bunker Hill Community College and Leslie University, um, the community and the willingness to work with people who aren't the traditional college student and um, was very, very uh, important to my, to the trajectory of my career. And I want to tell people that like, no matter where you are and how old you are, like there, if you, if, and you can always reach out to me, <laughs> like there are institutions that are willing to help you um, get your degree. So, yeah. I do feel, I feel um, with that degree, I, I do feel that I did tie up that loose end and I do feel that, you know, I finished something and accomplished it and made my grandma proud. Yay, grandma. Oh, no, I love that. No, I love that. I think, and I think your path is the non-traditional path. And I think your path is one that says, hey, to your point, yes, there's a lot of, of companies that want you to have that bachelor's degree, but the question is why? Like, it, is it they, they just want to see that you're capable of completing something, or is there something specific about your experience in college that's applicable to their job? And to your point, mm -hmm. you can go to your school and sit next to somebody at Harvard and you guys are doing the same thing. So. Yeah do you need to go to Harvard or can you go to a place that you can afford that fits your life and all of that? So I think that's a good point. I think you're my first guest that's really kind of focused on um, community college. So I would love to hear that path. Like what made you decide to go to community college and what was that transition for you from community college to, to Leslie? So I would say the community college did build complete community for me. I mean, I could, I get chills and teary eyed when I think about, oh, sorry. No, I love <laughs> this. No, I love that you're passionate about it. I think there's so many people that think that education and as, again, because we're so pushed to get, a, get an education, get an education, but there's so much that goes into it. It's more than just going to school and buying the books, especially when you have to work while you're doing it, especially when you're doing it, not just for yourself, you're doing it for your family. Like you're invested in what you're doing mm -hmm. as an education. And I can hear that. And I love that. So take your time, tell your story. This is why we're here. I mean, uh, some of my darkest days, because I, you know, I was in a program where I couldn't go to um, school at night. I had to go in the day. So I had to work part-time, you know, and I was an adult. I was like in my thirties, minimum wage jobs so that I could have a flexible schedule to go to school. And they supported me so much. Not only my professors, I remember them saying, you know, we're not building employees, we're building managers, we're building entrepreneurs. Awesome. Um, so like in the classes, I, I would come and think from like this social justice standpoint, right? And they're like, you know, Yes, we want that, but we need to shift your mind and thinking that you're an employee. You know, we are building you up to be um, business owners and managers. And um, I'll never forget that. And just how supportive they were in, in providing food sometimes for the students. Like, because sometimes it would be like, go to class or um, go to school or like pay your rent because you need to 
get more hours or something. And sometimes on my darkest days, like just going to school and learning about the career that I was passionate about was like my saving grace on many occasions. They created uh, opportunities for us to learn and earn. So I worked at some of the top businesses in event planning um, at Fidelity Bank, at uh, Bank of America. And um, I learned how to work remotely. Those were some of my first remote jobs. And they sent me to Africa. They paid 80% of my um, my expenses to study abroad in, Af- in Namibia. So like community college gave me so much. And then transitioning to uh, my BA, thankfully the people who worked, they were very familiar with me because they had a partnership with our community college. So they already had like my resume um, carrying me over to getting my BA at Leslie. And um, they were very supportive. They did not give up on me anytime I wanted to just quit or like, just be like, I can't, they were like, no, like you can't. And they call my professors and I'd be on the phone with them. They actually had us take our classes at the community college. So that was, even though they were from Leslie, we took it at the community college. So I still felt very much connected to my community college. And the and I didn't know how much I needed that because I feel like going to Leslie maybe would be like a shock to my system um, for me personally. So being able to extend it at somewhere I was comfortable, I knew people was very important. Um, and then, And then because of COVID, right? The rest of like the last part of my college career was online. Um, And at that point, it was very convenient for me because I was like working full time and like working full, working part time to try to create soul life. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was like, oh, this is really easy for me. So I did feel always the sense of community that um, from my community college, and then in turn, it went to uh, my my four-year degree. Okay. All right. So what's the timeline? So you graduate from high school. It sounds like you took, you worked, took some time off and then went to school. What's the timeline of your career? So I graduated in high school in 99 and I graduated college in 2020. Okay. So there's a path. Some, there were some steps in the middle. <laughs> right. So I stopped. Um, I I worked in Atlanta. I lived in Atlanta for about 10 years. I was partying. I was young in my 20s. I was living the Atlanta life. Okay. (laughs) I had no idea why I kept trying to go back to school. And no, I was trying to be in that Atlanta life. Real talk. Um, And, you know, my family, their families, my family is a family of professionals, like I said. And They were just like, you got to do something, do social work, do this, do that. And I was trying to, you know, work for my mom, work for in the family business. And I was miserable. I was working at a call center and I had an accident trying to live this Atlanta lifestyle, right? I had a car accident. I was ran off the road in the middle of the night. Um, uh, And um, I almost, I could have died that night. Um my recovery was long, intense, and I w- it took a lot of time. I remember, like, my mom reading me parts of, like, the purpose-driven life, um, and I started to kind of change my mindset about, like, I really didn't know 
what I wanted to do in life. And it was very scary to me because this path had always kind of been, I felt like written for me. Like I was supposed to be the the next activist. I was supposed to be the next social worker in my family and it never felt right to me. So I felt lost. And I remember going to my, my, um, I remember going to my, my cousin's graduation and at, from college and being so happy for her, but she's my younger cousin and just feeling like a failure because I did not graduate from college. And, um, so that was kind of the seed that was planted. And I think that my aunt during that trip, that when everyone was together, actually it was love at first sight. It was something that it was just overtaking. It was a feeling that overtook me. Um, and doors started opening for me that never opened for me before in this industry, right? Like in this new industry that I was in, mm-hmm. doors just were opening for me. And I, and I had a clear path. I don't know how, but um, I just, every single thing that I did felt strategic and felt exactly where I needed to be at the moment. Okay. Um, and I kept just falling more deeply in love with the industry and feeling that this industry, there's so many facets within the industry. There's so many things like people who do software engineering can work in the travel industry. You can work in marketing, travel industry. You can, you know, there's just so many jobs that you can do within this industry. It's so, it's growing. You're helping people find themselves again. You're, you're helping the teacher who saved for years to go on a, you know, Tanzanian safari. And this was her life's dream. And you're, you know, you're hearing her story when she comes back about how she like, saw an elephant have a baby or something and it, you're it, they take you there so you're constantly feeling as though you're going on these um on these journeys with your clients uh I love the fact that in the travel industry they put a lot of effort into training and by training I mean training you not on like the day-to-day things but having you go to the places a lot of the travel that I did um was paid for by my job. I mean, I've lived in, I've lived in the UK for over six months from, from my job. I went to South Africa and Namibia um, and Southern Africa uh, twice because of my job. Like, and (laughs) it opens up a world of opportunity for you. And there's so many things within that travel industry that you can do. And I think it's one of the one of the industries that you can really like that I'm seeing that you can really impact a community, not only for the bad, but for the good. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really what I love about it. The, what I feel that the travel industry can do um, is not to be so exploitive to the people that they're, to the areas and the people that they're visiting, especially in developing countries. Um, diversity needs to be number one in the, tra- in the travel industry. That goes from not only the marketing to hiring, um, there needs to be definitely more people that are uh, travel coordinators within uh, companies mm-hmm. because I can't even remember myself. You have a different idea, a different um, way of thinking than if you're in this monolithic uh, room with people. So like for me, right, I would hear things 
like in the marketing that they would say new world. And I'm like, hold up, we can't say that anymore, you know, or things that they would say, like, let's go visit these schools. And I'm like, where is the, why are we visiting schools? Are we allowed to visit school? Are people allowed to visit our schools, even if it's in the inner city in the States? And it's just like getting the conversation going, right? So having more diversity all through the industry is absolutely paramount. Um, and I think that it's happening. Yeah, it was a big jump for it and it is happen happening slower. Uh, but I think having more people in the seats and at, and at the table. But with that being said, um, I feel like we have to create our own table. Um, and yes, people, there are nine to five employees and that is important and that needs to happen as well. But if you go to these places and they're not hearing you, I would hope that you can... Um, create your own and stop asking for permission sometimes and us to create our own because it's needed. Our people need it and that they will support you. They will support you. Absolutely. I, I think that, and I, I loved, I heard you say on another podcast where you were working at this job and, and they were coordinating trips to Paris, but you were like, why aren't we talking about Josephine Baker on these, on these trips? And so you describe yourself as someone who is never one to be quiet. So what were the steps you took from working for somebody else to, you know what, I'm going to start my own business. Okay. Backtrack. Right. <laughs> so, you know, I struggled with like self-esteem issues and not feeling that I could um, do something on my own. That was a big struggle for me for a long time. I had all these wonderful ideas, but I had, I felt like I had to be cradled inside of a safe, place like a company right I started working for these companies and learning everything that they do right if I'm gonna learn I'm gonna learn from the best so I'm working for these companies that were the best in their industry and um it was I undertook a lot of things because I was the only black person there the only woman of color there mm -hmm. um and I I knew that this was bigger than just like me right so I had to sit and grin and bear it but I couldn't do it because of the person that I am um so I would sit in these rooms and I you know I would have to have a target on my back I would leave the room with a target on my back I would get hired because I am palatable I'm lighter skinned I'm just going to be frank I look a certain way I'm non-threatening and I get my foot in the door but they didn't know that Malcolm X was coming through the door <laughs> right so like I'm sitting there and I'm in these meetings and I'm just kind of like, no, we can't, um, we can't do it that way. We can't, you know, we have to try this way. Why aren't there black people in advertising? Why don't we have these black itineraries? You know, like we don't need to call it a, the black itinerary, but we need to have some black experiences on it. And, you know, it was funny. Like they would get calls, the sales teams, oh, they would get calls <laughs> from like black and Latino, um, I worked at an educational company, the last job I worked at, that did uh, trips abroad for students um, and their teachers would, teacher faculty-led trips. Um, so the teachers would call and they'd be calling from like Wisconsin or LA or something. And they're like, we want to go to New York, but we want to go to Spanish Harlem. Latino teachers calling, wanting to go to Spanish Harlem, wanting to go to Harlem. And we didn't have those things on our itinerary. And they would call me. They would call me in product, in product management and say, Sadie, we have this Latin teacher on the phone 
can you look up some things to do in Spanish Harlem or like, can you help us? And, and I'm like, this is what I'm talking about. So one of the things that I did is I really pushed, even though it was the itinerary that I created um, for Soul Life, mm-hmm. I really pushed um, to have it. And the, and the itinerary is published on their site to have, uh, they didn't call it that. I wanted them to call it Afro-Caribbean Costa Rica. They wouldn't call it that. Um, but thankfully they didn't because that's what we call our itinerary <laughs> that it's based off of. Um, they call it something else. But I pushed for them to say, this is they're going to do an Afro Costa Rican cooking class. They're going to do this. You want to make sure that you have these these markers that you're you're hitting a certain type of demographic without having to say this is a black tour, right? Because right. this is everybody's right. history. Right. Um, I would go into meetings and I would have big stacks of papers of research that I did um, about black the black travel movement the the new black send videos of Evita, you know, from Nomadness, like TED Talks to to my management and say, uh, hey, um, and in my job role, it's so funny. I would, I would kind of like, I would send off emails and I, during certain times of years or um, the whole month of June, I would send off with my email, certain things about black travel, like Martha's Vineyard, information, Juneteenth, to give my to give my job like information about us in the black travel i would have on my desk the green book um so if people would walk by and be like what is this and i'd have to explain oh the green book you don't know what the green book is well this is what the green book is um so which is the green book is like how we would um find safe places to go i will do the the 50s and 60s when we weren't allowed to go to certain hotels like we would know where to go eat and where to go stay. Um, and so that would create an educational point for my colleagues. Um, I'd have Nipsey Hustle on my desktop, like when they would leave for the day, he'd be sitting right there and people are like, who's that guy? So, I mean, I always just tried to maintain myself, like who I was mm-hmm. um, as a black woman and not try to kind of put this polar bear suit on, right? I would just come in, this is who I am. Um, but I know the privilege of who I am, right, uh, was the reason why I was able to do that. Because a lot of the two other ladies that I worked with, I know that they couldn't really present themselves like that um, for absolute fear of uh, the ramifications that came with that. For me, I just felt like at that point, I was like, not only looking at Indeed, looking for another job but also like working on my business every night. Um, so I knew that I had an exit plan, right? And, and, I, and, I took, and, I, and I took one of the ladies who I worked with, who I saw, she was a young, black, a young black female. And I saw that working in corporate America, it was just grinding her to her core, right? Like I, had a, I was a little bit more seasoned to the abuse that you suffer at working in, in that environment. And um, I could see that her, which had happened to me as well, that her self-esteem was being um, depleted, that she uh, was second guessing herself on everything, that she worked late. She was the last person there, you know, to get to work. I mean, to uh, work. And I, and I went to her, I used the conference room and I'm like, hey, I don't think they're gonna be taking my, um, suggestions about like these itineraries 
but I'm, I'm about to really revamp this company that I have right now. And like, do you want to come on board? I believe in you. I've been working with you for two years. I see how you work. You're such a hard worker. You're so passionate about this industry. And I want to, I, I, I can't do this without you. And, um, that was like, we would, it was, I'm not Harry. I'm no Harriet Tubman, but it felt very much underground railroadish, like us. Let's go. Let's get an escape. Let's get out of here. <laughs> Seriously, like it felt very much like that we were escaping, and um, <laughs> because we tried, you know, like I tried. I know she tried to. I went all the way to. I went. They said they had open door policy. I'd go to the to the owner of the company. I go to, you know, management and I'd be like, look, why aren't we having these experiences for this demographic? And they, and I'd get met with fierce resistance of like, black people don't spend the money. They're not our, our bread and butter. They're not the ones spending the money. And I'm like, that's a lie because I have the paperwork right here to prove we are. And, you know, it was just like, it wasn't taken seriously. So um, the pandemic happened and I'm a statistic. Black women were the first to be laid off. Wow. I was laid off at my company. And then George Floyd happened. So they laid off the one or couple of Black people they had there. And then George Floyd happened right after. You know, karma? Sorry. I'm not saying <laughs> that that's karma. But They're they like, were, whoops. <laughs> they were scrambling to, every tourism company was scrambling to figure out how to be like diverse right and and their numbers because thankfully the black travel alliance had the gall to print the numbers and show that that these companies were you know were operating at 95 percent non-people of color yeah you know um i'm so thankful to them because they you know, they, they took some of the weight off my back of that. I felt like I was carrying for so long, yeah. um, yeah. being right in that industry, you know, cause a lot of travel and, and I'm not saying this in a bad way, but a lot of these, um, travel influencers had not worked within the industry, had not worked in these companies. Right. And I actually have worked at tour operator companies at, um, you know, travel agencies and like worked inside and, and know the ins and out of the tourism industry. So um, I'm glad that this weight has been lifted and I don't have to carry it. This weight I put on myself that I don't have to carry it alone anymore. There is, I, there is a major tribe now of people who are willing to call people out and willing to hold people accountable and say like, okay, if you're this diverse, let me see your numbers. Let me see what you're doing to change this. And it's beautiful. Yeah. I just felt like for me, I had done the dirty work and I felt like, okay, I'm sitting here. I'm walk, you know, I'm talking the talk, but I'm not walking the walk. I have to do some serious work on myself because if they're not going to create it, my people shouldn't go without it. So I have to create it. So I have to get rid of that that fear, because the only thing separating me from these people who are doing it is the fear that I have placed on myself and the, you know, the self-esteem and the this and that and the imposter syndrome that I'm putting on myself. And I have to do this because there are people who want what I have to provide and they deserve to have it. Absolutely. So who am I to be in my own way? 
I love that. Yeah. I think I, I started traveling and thank you for sharing that. I started traveling internationally. I don't know, maybe five years ago, um, pretty consistently. And, and we went to Colombia during the pandemic, uh, like February, 2020, I think, or 2021. And while we were there somehow, I don't even remember how somebody had told us about the town of Palenque, which is a town that was founded by freed slaves in Colombia. And I was like, oh, we got to go. We got to see this. And was like, what? And took the tour and the tour was by somebody who's from Palenque. It wasn't some white dude, you know, from Cartagena. It was somebody from Palenque who gave the tour and just to see the pride. And of course, this was uh, not long after George Floyd went happened. And so there was all the Black Lives Matter stuff everywhere. And I was like, the fact that it got here to Colombia shows how connected we are. And so from there, I was like, no, we have to make concerted efforts when we travel to find the the Black diaspora all over the world. And so I, I think when we moved to Costa Rica, uh, before we moved to Costa Rica, I found a woman who um, was doing kind of relocation expat assistantship who was uh, Afro-Costa Rican. And I was like, wait, there's Black people in Costa Rica? And yeah. so I, and you had said, you know, it, it becomes the work of Black people to find us around the world. And that's where soul life travel comes in is that you're taking that work off of black travelers. So mm-hmm. how did you, at what point did you go, I'm filling this void, particularly in Costa Rica. And then obviously you're not doing a salon, you're collaborating with companies. Are the partners that you're collaborating with aware of the issue or do you feel like you have to educate people as you're putting these trips together? Yeah, I, I guess the void came from my own doing what you just had to do, right? like the frustration of knowing because I worked in the travel industry, I work at companies (laughs) that why do my people have, why can't there be something there already? Like a business is supposed to fulfill a void. That's what a business is about. And if you're in the travel industry and you have black clientele, why are you not trying to fulfill this void for them? Um, why does it have to be, why do you have, you have to make it a race thing? Not us. You're making it one because I have a a prime example. Look at the African-American museum. And I say this all the time. This is my, I think visiting the African-American museum really made everything make sense for me. Um, the African-American museum put it all into perspective for me. When I went there, I realized this was for us completely it was for black people (laughs) from the craziest things in the cafeteria that they have a vent like a um a a soda thing like not a vending machine but like a refrigerator Mm -hmm. and it has orange grape and strawberry soda in it and I'm like only (laughs) black people are gonna understand this right like (laughs) but it's for everyone like everyone can go and it doesn't have signs that are like screaming like this is for us, but it you know when you're there that this is for us, but everybody is welcome because it's everyone's history. Right. It's now right. the number one, it's now the number one museum in DC. Everyone goes to DC to see the monuments. We still want to see the monuments, but we have somewhere now that we can go. Yeah. And that yeah. other people can go that can appreciate our history because our history is beautiful. Yeah. I took that model it made sense to me of what I wanted to do with soul life that's exactly what I wanted to do with it I wanted to 
make it someone it's open for everyone. But from the moment that you talk to us on the phone, you know that it's for you. You know that we're going to talk to you about things that like, girl, you know, uh, like even some of my vendors, I'm like, they're asking me in, in some of the other areas. Like I have this one lady I do work with in Guanacaste and she's like, well, she's a black woman. Right. And she's, she even is like, Oh, well, what can I do to make it better? And I'm like, can you have satin pillowcases for our clients? Ah. Shampoos and conditioners for our clients. Little things, right? Like, because how much in travel is our hair stripped to the core from washing our hair or something? Like, we can't. We can't even do it. So just little changes that that make you feel seen. And I just want to make, because I want to feel seen. So, um that's kind of where it all started to make sense for me when I visited the African-American museum, because now I had something to look to, to kind of mold how I wanted soul life to be. Do you have to educate the partners that you work with or are you, are, do they get it? And they're like, yep, soul life travel, we're on board. Or do you have to be like, all right, <laughs> this is why we're doing this. And this is what you need to do to curate you know, we're curating travel for black people. Other people are welcome to come, but we're curating this. And when you work with me, you need to make sure you consider this as well. Do they understand that or you have to educate your partners? Um, so I'm going to say the good and I'll tell you the bad, right? I'll give you an example of both um, with having to work with partners. Now, I, I decided because in the travel industry in Costa Rica, the Caribbean coast was ignored by Mm -hmm. the travel industry in Costa Rica, by design, by design because of racism and oppression. Um, What my grandfather said to me, going back to what my grandfather said to me, those three things have been heard by travel, by travelers, black and white, do not go to the Caribbean side. I mean, they'll tell you that at at the airport. And um, I knew that I had this demographic of travelers who are not being spoken to and this place that I absolutely loved that is being denied the, the benefits of having tourism, the tourism money that comes through. Mm-hmm. How can I bridge those together? Um, when I went to the vendors and on the Pacific and on... Um, the Central Valley, if I went there and I was like, um, this is for black travelers, right? I would be taking away from their culture. So I'm very cognizant of that. Mm-hmm. And I can't change their culture there. As long as they're respectful to my clients and they're showing you their culture, um, that's what I want. I want you to experience the culture that you're in because that is a testament to us as people of color that we're not going there to try to change anything, right? Right. Their culture is different from the Caribbean. But when you're in the Caribbean, and and yeah, I tell my guides there and everything, um, talk to them. You don't have to talk to them like subservient. You don't have to be like, this is a different type of clientele. They wanna be, they wanna feel like they know you because that's how we are as a people. We really, we want to know we want to get that sense of connection. Yeah. Um, 
So that's really the conversation that I have. And then again, the lady in Guanacaste, because she is Afro, um, she is uh, Afro Costa Rican, like she understands, okay, we can't make Guanacaste black, right? But we can, we can tell the history of like the black people in Guanacaste and we can put little things that you'll feel seen while you're in while you're over there. Okay. Now on the Caribbean side is different. I've had to have sit downs with families before my, because I work with families, like local people, like real local people. So I'm like sitting there with the father to the grandchild, like in front of me <laughs> and um, telling them, like showing them my business model, telling them, and they're like, wow. And I'm like, you know, you can't say one love. We are one. Our people are coming from basically like persecution in the States. And yeah, we're not like hating white people, but we're coming to kind of escape. And sometimes like one love and like we are all one is a trigger for us because we know that that's not our reality where we're coming from. Mm -hmm. And having those kind of talking sessions and them being like, oh, wow, this is a different type of clientele and letting them know that like you have the opportunity to heal your own people coming from somewhere. When do you ever, when have we ever had that opportunity where like, We've been separated by, because of the diaspora, right? So now we're hurting. Your brothers and sisters in the States are hurting or from all over. And you now have the opportunity to help in that healing, right? And, and, and like, they get it because our narrative and who we are came before we, before we got here from other tourists that came before us, right? So like, they don't know us and we don't know them. Like, and what they do know of us came from people it might be a harmful story for us before we even got there right. so it's kind right. of and like they understand and they're willing and they're excited about being able to just be themselves and tell the history that they've wanted to tell without feeling censored so they're going to tell you the real about marcus garvey the real about how like the indigenous people use dart frogs to like kill the spaniards and <laughs> things that they're not going to say right right happily when they have somebody else, but it's it's the actual factual culture, and it's like us hearing about resistance and and sovereignty mm -hmm. and and you know how we can thrive without having these eyes on us all the time directing our every move, and we need to hear that. And how about we hear that from people who who are who lived it and who look like us, right? So then on the flip side, I've had to have conversations with hotels that I might have used um, that have biases that um, treat our clients and they don't understand that what they're doing can be very traumatic like one time I was at a hotel and I was there with my client and my boyfriend and he's a Costa Rican very dark-skinned local and they had armed security come and ask him they walked we were in the pool me and my client were in the pool because sometimes I hang out with my clients we were in the pool they went directly to him and asked him, why is he there? With gun, with guns. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I politely, you know, I had to go to the front desk and then I had to have a meeting, several meetings with management because we're one of their tops. They were one of their top clients right. and they didn't know me because who am I? I'm just this black girl in the pool. Right. Mm -hmm. And I had to tell them like, <laughs> who I was and I hated to do that. Like, do you know who, like, I, I didn't want to do that. Do you know who I am? Yeah, like, I didn't want to do that. <laughs> um, 
But if they can do that when I'm there, imagine what they do when I'm not there. Right, right. So we had a long conversation and they, they got it. Like after that conversation, they got it. And it wasn't about cursing anyone out. It wasn't about, um, it was just about like, do you see how that can be from, from a people who are coming somewhere because on TV all day, and I'm sure you saw it, that people are being killed every day. Unarmed black people are being killed. So what does that look like when you send four armed security guards and you go straight directly to the black man? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even if that wasn't your intention, it's all about optics. Yeah, for sure. You know? And and he and and then you go to the local, the one who actually is from here. <laughs> like, like it has to be something. It it can't be. It can't be that way. Yeah. Um. So I. So it's those kind of conversations, but we always get it worked out, and we get it where we have. I also am speaking with people of color, you know, other people of color. So they, you know, it's an easier conversation to have. And um, which I appreciate because management is our our people of color, which Mm -hmm. is that those are the hotels that we, that we like to use. Like if they're not locally owned, they're locally run um, or they're, they're run by people of color because I think it's easier to just have those kind of, honest conversations unfortunately with you know people like us yeah 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 so um i so live travel curates multi-day events and or multi-day travel in costa rica so what changes are you seeing in travelers and since you offer custom itineraries what changes are you seeing in travelers expectations and requests like I don't know my head would explode if I went to a place that had satin pillows but what other kind of things are you seeing as people because I think money is a thing especially now with people are, are real cognizant about where they put their money and like I know I if I can put my money towards a black run business or black women I'm gonna do that first so um what are you seeing changing with your clientele? So I work a lot in um, this area um, in in the Caribbean side of Costa Rica. And what I've noticed the explosion are people just really want, um, they like stories, right? They like to feel a part of the fabric of your company. Um, They wanna know who you are as a person transparency is key right like no longer of having like this uh, premier image or like pristine image of who you are they want to know like the ugly they want to relate to you and um that way they can relate to the they understand your story and they know why you're doing what you're doing um so like money is key right um but I also am so I think people want to respect more the places that they're visiting and know the places that they're visiting rather than it being so transactional especially for my clients I can't speak for everyone but I can speak for my clients in the fact that they really want to feel a part of the fabric of the community Um, and we really try to make that happen and we try to make that happen from the first phone call even when we're like okay what type of hotels do you like to stay in what kind of level of service do you like because if you want pristine a uh, five-star service throughout your entire trip. Do not come to the Caribbean. And I'm not saying that 
I'm not saying that to be to say that my people here aren't going to give you that right but like you got to know the history money was not poured into this area meaning education for hospitality was not poured into this area and if you're coming here and you want to see a black experience and you want to see what like they're doing the best they can and they're learning every day yeah. right and so the expectations that i know that you have this money and you can spend it and our people are spending yep okay they they will spend on on things that talk to that speak to them right that whole thing like if you build it they will come like legit it is i see it in every day i mean i had a client who who on the trip chartered a private plane oh to get them from one area to the next nice so um they but they also are willing if you're honest with them are willing to understand and support the community that they're going to if you're honest and you're like you know you you you're saying it you're like okay so you want to support this community well this is this is how you're supporting it mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. one of our clients she's very i mean one of our um our partners are very religious not all of us are not all of us are religious anymore but she's gonna give you a pamphlet before you <laughs> and I tell them that <laughs> and you're visiting her home mm -hmm. so I try to let you know that but you know we have to be respectful we can't try to just be uh, do whatever you want with the pamphlet afterwards but take the pamphlet because she's opening her home to you her heart to you her her history to you, her love for you, mm -hmm. feeding you, giving you mama love. Take the pamphlet, do what you want. We all have home training, right? <laughs> we all know our parents taught us. So those kind of things, because I think as tourists, we, or previously, it's like, we're supposed to be catered to. We're the most important part of this equation, right? Like, you're supposed to be thinking about our feelings all the time. And yes, you need to be treated with love, care, respect, but this is a um, give and take relationship. Yeah. yeah. So, and that is what I see that people are appreciating and loving more and willing to spend top dollar on that, feeling that because people want to come back to um, that sense of home, yeah. especially yeah. after the pandemic. Well, especially if you're going somewhere where you see people that look like you, you exactly. want it to be home. But so yeah, if you want air conditioning, you mm -hmm. have to pay for it. Like, and just know that if you want these air conditioning and you want it, you want it, you want it. Yes, we can make it happen. But you are changing the community with your demand. Yeah. We learned, we, we learned that the hard way we were, we traveled through how many days we were in Puerto Viejo for three days, I think, and stayed at a place where it was like, okay, so our place has air conditioning, but we had like a, it was kind of like a hostel where we had like a shared space, but literally across the street was this spa where the guy said they spent like $500 a night. And I'm like, cool. But what did you see? Did you like everybody there is American. So why are you even here? If you just want to hang out with Americans, <laughs> why did you even travel? <laughs> so, right. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> what yeah. to you is the essential difference between a traveler and a tourist? Someone who is a um, tourist leaves the same way that they came. Mm. Um, and they leave something behind, tangible behind. Mm. Uh, 
they don't see the area for what it is. They don't try to invest in the area um, in terms of their emotional connection to it. They don't try to know the area. I feel like when you know an area, you love an area and you want to protect the area. You feel emotionally invested in that area and you respect it. A traveler to me is someone who does want to connect with the area, any area they are. And you can find that connection in your own backyard. You can find that connection where you live. You're always searching out for um, new places, even where you live, like off the beaten path, like you're, you're, you're searching, but you're only leaving behind your footprints. You're not leaving behind yourself. You're not leaving behind your ideas of how the place should be or um, should change to, to be you. You are respecting the area for what it is and you want it to be autonomous and sovereign and to keep going because you want other people to experience that beauty that you were able to experience. Um, so that's what I feel like a traveler. I remember the founder of... Um, of Patagonia, the company Patagonia. And this is a wonderful um, documentary that I think everyone should watch. It's called 180 Degrees South. And if you can, if you can watch that documentary, it's just, um, I think it's, it really tells the story of like traveler versus tourists. Um, and I actually got to meet Doug Tompkins, who, who it's about and he founded North Face in Patagonia. So it's he passed away and he, he was one of my biggest inspirations for, for travel. Um, so Yvonne said, <laughs> you go to Mount Everest and you have people put little chocolates on your, uh, on your sleeping bag, set up your tent, um, give you meals at night and, and you, after you hike. And you come as an asshole and you leave as an asshole. Um, <laughs> so you pay top dollar to be an asshole when you come back. So um, <laughs> that to me is kind of the, the difference between like a tourist and a traveler. And that always sticks to me. Like, how do you want to return on your adventure? Right. Has it changed right. you? It should change you. It should be messy. It should be, uh, it should shake you up. It should shake you to your core because you're experiencing something that you've never seen before. And if that doesn't change you, what does? Love it. Well, your company's bio references, irresponsible tourism creates an intensifying threat to local culture. So what are those threats and how can travelers circumvent those negative impacts? Um, I really think about being cognizant about your own wants and needs versus how it can affect a community. One way that I um, can, can say this is I remember being in a room at my former job and, um, you know, travelers create entire ecosystems for communities sometimes. And one of them was riding on the backs of elephants um, in Southeast Asia and in Africa. Um, we created the, the want, we created the need for this industry. And then one day somebody's daughter in like a travel, like a corporate executive's daughter decided she thought it was inhumane to ride the back of elephants. Do I think it's inhumane to ride the back of elephants? Absolutely. But we created this whole ecosystem and community that survived and thrived off of 
riding the back of, of elephants. And I brought that to their attention that, okay, we are no longer riding the backs of elephants, but are you thinking about what is what what does that do to the community? You're wiping out an industry yeah. that you created, right? So, so what are they going to do next? They're going to start poaching the elephants that they have. Communities, I'm seeing, what we try to do is have our communities do this African proverb called milking the rhino. They have the... Um, the resources and the wealth within their culture, right? Um, and in Namibia, the people own the wildlife, the people own the resources. This is not seen anywhere else, quite frankly, in the world. Um, so they are invested in keeping their wildlife, their resources and their culture intact because they see themselves in it. They see how they are interconnected um, and they see the value financially and for self-esteem of keeping that culture generated so that visitors will come. Mm -hmm. um, and also having the respect for themselves to be able and boundary setting, skip, like that they can say, no, we don't want this. Yes, we want this. And being able to really um, drive where tourism in their areas go. And I think that that's what we try to do here. We are only the bridge. We are not the experts. The experts are the people that we work for, that we work with here, our, our partners on the ground that are, that are um, selflessly providing our clients with their culture. Um, drugs are a big thing. You know, people come to places like this and they want to, you know, have a good time. They want to do they want it, but I've been coming here for over 16 years and I saw there wasn't a big drug scene here. Mm. And then the more tourism comes, the bigger the drug scene is, gotcha. um, mm. especially with cocaine. Mm. And um, so, you know, like I said, leave nothing behind but your footprints because your good time is really rocking a whole community. Right. Sunscreen, putting sunscreen in the ocean is making fish not as big as it once were. So the fishermen are now bringing in tiny snappers when before they had massive ones, you know? So like, it's just, everything is connected and find your place. Find your place of how you are connecting with that community. So like I said, from the first initial call, we try to make it, so your decisions are knowledgeable and you know exactly how that decision that you're making on your specific tour is going to affect the community that you're visiting. Yeah. Even if it's inconvenient to you as a whole, is it convenient to that community? And are you assisting and in, in aiding in the community being able to hold true to who they are and who have they been and who, what they've been able to create so that you can enjoy it. Yeah. This is not just a playground. This is like where people live and, and build families and, and have communities and, and have a place that you can go to when you're feeling the, the weight of the oppression that you're feeling in your own country to go to and feel loved and cared for and um, 
and and feel like you can be reborn. So we have to protect we have to protect these communities with all costs because there aren't many of them left. Yeah. Oh. Wow. Sorry, I know that was no, like no. That's topic. that's no. It's real. It's real, and you're right, and it's true. And I think um, you know, on our three weeks through Costa Rica, we stopped in Haco and seeing the drugs in Haco. I was like, we li- we just got here. Why are you offering me drugs? <laughs> like, I just got out of the drugs, prostitution. <laughs> I mean, just oh, the prostitution, and that wasn't created by the people here, right? right. That was created by the, the need, and it's exploiting. It's exploiting you know, poverty and oppression. Yeah. And, and on purpose, it's not like, oops, I, I, like, I know you, yeah, came, it's on you purpose. came here for this. It's, you came here for this. You came there for that. Ugh. Anywho, sorry. Yeah. Um. So your <laughs> business has been featured on Travel Noir twice. I caught yeah. it on the second round. Hold on three times. Oh, three times. I'm sorry. I've only caught it. Oh, boy. Three times, three times. So... <laughs> What skills have you had to develop now that your business is growing vastly? And what do you wish you'd known then that you know now about starting a business? So remember when you thought that you start your own business? Like, I know there's that meme for that, but it's so real. Like you thought you were start your own business and you have all the free time in the world and then you work 24 seven. Like that's, <laughs> that's like, <laughs> that's what I learned very fast. Um, I'm learning the the first thing I had to learn was um confidence in mm. like self-confidence um because sometimes I don't know all the answers I don't but I have to um when I don't know I have to ask for help and I have to be okay with that and not beat myself up for not knowing and and ask for help and um not fake it till you make it but kind of just like you're going to have to learn as you go. Like you're, you're not going to know everything and you have to be okay with learning how you go as you go. And also learning from your mistakes, um, learning how to take criticism and knowing that it is only going to be helpful to you and helpful for, um, your business and clients in the future. Um, getting out of learning basically like that time management because it's never going to slow down you think that you're going to have like a slow down time but once people realize who you are it's only going to get bigger so really investing in your processes and making sure that things run as smoothly as they can um has been something that I've had to learn like really investing in trying to make automated systems and um things that I I really just thought I was just gonna make some trips for people and like they were gonna go on these trips and everything was gonna be great but it's like so much behind the scenes and so much how to build relationships with people like how to stay calm cool collective under pressure I mean so many things that shadow work I mean spiritual work learning how to have time management for yourself versus like your business. There's so much that I'm learning every day and it's just a journey. It's the most rewarding thing that I've ever done for myself in terms of like just taking that plunge, but it's a lot of work. I think people see the accolades and they see like the, 
the instant success or whatever and they don't know like it, I am an elegant swan honey I'm a swan and them feet underneath are like this <laughs> <laughs> they're going they're going 100 miles a minute right um and just learning to uh enjoy enjoy your I, sometimes I feel like I have to take a moment to enjoy the the accolades I know I keep talking about like interpersonal skills, but I think that with business is so important. And I think that men, I hate to just separate, but it's like, do it, do it. I, I, I feel like for men and especially like white men, like they are bred and born to be competitive and to, um, just know how to work in this industry. And for me, I had to really learn a lot from them and work in industries that may may have hurt me, but I learned a lot from them. Right. And um, and having to integrate that love, wanting to work on the interpersonal skills as well as have that confidence of a mediocre, <laughs> mediocre. <laughs> like have that confidence of just like you can do this. And um, has been has been my greatest lesson. And one other thing of just taking a chance on yourself, just like don't give up. Like if you're an entrepreneur, you have something that you just don't know, it will not leave your soul. Just don't give up. And the only thing that separates me from anyone is the fact that like, I didn't give up, even if I didn't know what I was doing or um, I, j- I tried and then I didn't give up. We didn't have like this time last year before the travel nor like we we're literally going to shut our doors that we had 200 followers on our Instagram. Mm. And those were like our family mm. <laughs> <laughs> and our friends. Right. Seriously. We'd get like one like we have 20 likes on our on our stuff now Mm -hmm. right but we were working we had zero clients because it was a pandemic and nobody was traveling Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. we rebranded in 2019 and we had we had zero clients for a year and um I I was done I was depressed I was like this is stupid like I I just need to like give this up I'm gonna start working for someone else I got a job offer and I got like, again, I got a lot of money for it because they were just throwing anything, wanted you to work for them. Right. So, um, oh, you want a new house? Yeah. We'll give you a house. Like they were just giving whatever you wanted to work for them. And then the travel North article, and she actually found us from a hashtag that we had, because we just kept throwing out content. We kept I, like, we had clients, like we were operating as if we had clients. And shout out to my team who weren't getting any money. Mm. They were working like that I was paying them because they believed in what I was doing. Shout out to them. I couldn't do shout out to Emily and shout out to Judith because they literally, you need some writers behind you for a vision, right? So um, Travel North contacted us and uh, she, she the, the interviewer was just like, we want to do an interview on you. Did the interview didn't think anything of it was just like okay whatever and then it hit and we've just been going since then I mean we went from 200 in a day to 800 followers and we were like and I remember I was on a trip I was on a trip do not listen to people (laughs) y'all 
do not listen to people because I was on a trip and I was in Arizona and Sedona in the vortex. And this woman, I was so happy. She was like, oh my God, why are you so happy? I had tears. She's like, why are you so happy? I'm like, oh, this article. And I had 200 followers and now I have 800. And she was like, only 800 followers. Wow. Yeah. Only 800 followers. Wow. And then she showed me her Instagram and she had 5,000. Nobody cares, Karen. <laughs> Everywhere. So, you know, you're going to have haters. You're going to have people who don't believe in you, people who don't understand you. You're not going to have any business. And then one day someone's going to find a hashtag and it's going to change your world. Yeah. And it's going to be right before you're ready to close down. You just got to keep going. And that's the only thing that ever separated me was my fear of like doing something by myself and also um, like wanting to give up. That's the only thing that separates you from the ones who do and the ones who don't. My final question for you, Sadie, if you could look 10 years into the future, what would you need to see for you to think, yeah, I made it? 10 years, I want, even though there's development happening, gentrification happening, I want to be the voice. Um, I want to help to help the people in those communities to maintain their gatekeepers mm-hmm. and to help these communities um, the in the pockets of the world that weren't unseen, that were unseen for so long that are now being seen because people are now seeing their worth, right? in resources and everything. I want to make it so that my company helps that if the fight comes to them, that it'll be a formidable fight and that they have the resources um, and some weapons to fight hard because we know it's coming. We know it's here. We know that these pockets are being changed and I just want to help in the fight. Sadie thank you I absolutely love I'm like how can I help you I'm I want to be on board whatever you need I got you so (laughs) me and my sad little you know four listeners hopefully that helps a little bit where can people find you if they want to go to Puerto Viejo they want to take advantage of soul life travel where can they find you so they can find us on Instagram and thank you again for having me on here because I love helping other women entrepreneurs and people who are following their dreams. And I, and I just, I think it's so, I think it's so dope what you're doing and I wish you nothing but the greatest success. Um, but people can definitely find us on Instagram on at soul life travel. So that's S as in Sam, O U L L I F E travel. Um, you can also find us by uh, emailing us if you have any requests at info at soullifetravel.net, spelled the same way. And you can find us on our website at www.soullifetravel.net. Perfect. And on Google. You can Google me, boo. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Sadie. I hope you have a great day. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to this episode of the Wise and Wine podcast. Don't forget, episodes come out every Tuesday wherever you find podcasts. 
Remember to rate, subscribe, and review. You can also find information about my guests on my Instagram page at Wise and Wine Podcast, or send me an email if you have any questions, comments, or concerns at wiseandwine at gmail.com. So I hope that our time today helps you pass the time on your commute, pass the time on the treadmill, or pass the time while you're working on those TPS reports. And hopefully you left this day a little wiser. Have a great day. Bye-bye.